I've got enough Chrome-based browsers, thank you. Welcome to episode number 239 of Grumpy Old Ben's Wednesday, December 6, 2023. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where chat GPT may not always be right, but it's usually pretty entertaining. And from America's left coast, where I had a long shower yesterday, I'm Ryan Bemrose. Um, were you with a few other people? Was this kind of... Uh... You have to go. To no, one of those no. I was clubs. standing outside of the van with a package in my hand, and the shower was about twelve hours. Wow, you were doing it outside too. That's very risque and random. You know, it turns out most people's front doors are outside. How inconsiderate is that? How dare they? Are a lot of people buying things from Amazon this time of year? That's a surprise. Yeah, it turns out. I guess there's some kind of a, a an event or something coming up near the end of this month that people buy a lot of things for. I'm not sure what, but. Some kind of gift giving holiday. Remember your favorite podcasters when you're doing all of that holiday shopping. Your favorite podcasters like gifts. Yeah. And gifts sometimes. But no, no, it's JPEGs. No, okay, JPEGs. You're right. Or just go. They they don't need to be animated. You got to go full PNG. That gives you the better quality. I don't know. Well, yeah. Early meme lords completely ruined animated gifts for me. Remember tiffs. Does anybody still use tiffs? I, I, I sudden, I sometimes have a tiff. <laughs> All the different formats. Some have come, some have gone. You should always I join was, us live. I was digging through the, the deep crevices of my hard drive the other day and actually came across a real media file, an animation or a video or something. And you're like, what is this? Well, I was like, how do I play this? Right. That, there's that. And by the way, it turns out VLC can, did, can play some of them. Yeah, and I think the latest update fixed a lot that was wrong with VLC for a long time. About half the FLAC files would have random pauses in there, and they they just didn't know why, I guess, because it took a long time to get fixed. It's it's always with the codecs. The Uh one thing about VLC, which has not been fixed yet, as far as I can tell, is for whatever reason, every once in a while, it decides that it wants to look for plugins as if I just go around every day installing new plugins into VLC. Don't you? And takes like 15 seconds to launch. You're like, I want to watch my porn. Yeah. Well, I'm, no, I'm like, I want to listen to the no agenda stream. Oh, well, that too. That is and, your porn. Well, yes, it is. It has, it has some great music shows on it these days. Hey, well, there's a lot of value for value music and such. And sometimes you just raise the Jolly Roger and go full on piracy. Uh, I've been playing around with openrouter.ai, which is a place that you can kind of dabble with all these large language models. Uh, at, you can do it at the same time, too. So you can choose, you know, chat GPT. You can choose the, uh, you know, Llama, which is from uh, Facebook. You can choose all of these different open source ones and see what it kind of spits out at you. And I was intrigued by the latest chat GPT four, which is in preview, it says, but it is fairly up to date. And as I said, in the little teaser there in the intro, 
not always right, but often hilarious. Now I asked it, what is grumpy old Ben's? And <laughs> I was expecting to get nothing. I really was. I was kind of expecting to get like, uh, and I it was not- worse than that. No, this one was actually pretty accurate. It says grumpy old Ben. It was, that's what I said. Exactly. Is a podcast that focuses on technology, social issues, and various other topics from the perspective of two self-proclaimed grumpy old men named Darren O'Neill and Ryan Bemrose. So far, that's pretty good. Their discussions often include a critical look at current events, media bias, internet culture, privacy, and the effects of technology on society. Well, that seems pretty accurate. Yeah, who's writing all of this about us? I don't know. Jet GPT, it knows all. Yeah, but it, I, I'm just wondering, where, where is it getting all of these lies? I don't know. The hosts bring to the table their personal experiences and insights aiming to entertain listeners while also providing commentary on the state of the world as they see it. See, that's right there. They just went off the rails, aiming to entertain. I don't care if I entertain you. I do this show to entertain me. Right. This is true that they forgot the narcissistic aspect of this show. It should be two grumpy narcissists. As everybody knows that I just love to hear the sound of my own voice. The format of the show, it says, typically involves a casual and unfiltered conversation between the hosts. Well, that's true. Unfiltered. Yeah, I could go with that. With occasional guests. I mean, they even know that we occasionally have a guest. How long has it been? It's been a while, but they still yeah. know. The show's tone is often humorous and sarcastic. <laughs> really? I did, I've never picked well, up. Well, I'm not certain about that humorous part. Uh-huh intended for an audience that appreciates a more cynical take on the news and modern culture. And uh, then it goes on to tell you that due to the ever evolving blah, 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 it's information only goes up to early 2023. So it may not be up to date, but overall, I think they hit it on the nose. That's uh, what bothers me is I don't, I am not aware that these AI models are actually listening to podcasts yet. So somebody had to have written that about us. You would think that they're either getting this from reviews on the podcast. They're getting for it uh, somewhere. Now I put in, of course, what is no agenda. And again, pretty accurate. It's a podcast hosted by Adam Curry. Often. I got to back up to GOB just just for a moment. Back up. Curl room. Uh, NetNed says GOB is not highbrow and Servo responds with it has a low pass filter. <laughs> nerds. A lot of nerds in there. Says Adam Curry's known as the podfather for his early contributions to the development of podcasting and John C. Dvorak, a former tech journalist and columnist. They know he's former. The show centered around centers around media deconstruction where the hosts critically analyze and discuss news stories, media coverage, government policies. It features a mix of commentary on current events, conspiracy theories, and social phenomena, which, okay, that's pretty much on. Does it have the words conspiracy therapist? No, it should. It should. It says the podcast operates without taking any corporate sponsorship or advertising money, instead relying on a listener supported model where they call their supporters producers. These producers contribute to the show financially and by providing tips, local insights, and expertise in various subjects with the hosts then incorporate into their discussion. It also says No Agenda is known for its skepticism towards mainstream media's narratives, and it often delves into topics that may not be extensively covered by traditional news outlets. The hosts pride themselves on countering what they perceive as bias and propaganda in the media landscape, aiming to offer their listeners an alternate perspective you know it has a dedicated fan base full of inside jokes catchphrases listener engagement 
and it's been running since 2007, making it one of the longer standing shows in the media landscape. So again, I am uncomfortable with this kind of accuracy coming out of one of these things. How is, how is this not censored yet? I don't know, but now this was the funny part and this is kind of where the whole bit, uh, makes it all worthwhile. I asked what is rare encounter? Of course you did. And it says rare encounter is a podcast that as of my last update was hosted by Adam Curry, also of no agenda fame along with Abel Kirby. So when did this happen? Well, didn't you know cold acid came out and his secret identity is Adam Curry. I could believe that, but why would Adam Curry have picked Cortese? I don't know. Well, how do you, how do you stay under the radar when JCD is looking for you? That's you go true. somewhere that JCD can't pronounce the name of the town. <laughs> exactly. So I didn't know cold acid was out. Adam Curry's in, but Adam Curry is cold acid. That's an interesting, uh, I, that is the, it's take. the only possible ex- explanation. It then says the show offers discussions that range from technology and media analysis to broader social commentary. Similar to No Agenda, Rare Encounter often brings a critical eye to current events and cultural phenomenon, but it may also include more personal reflections and storytelling from the host. At least we've got the inaccuracies coming in here. Then, Yes. Yeah. A critical eye. I didn't even hear anime. Anywhere in the description was anime. Exactly. Now, there, there's another thing it, it for the no agenda one. It pointed out the the it does not take any corporate sponsorship money and, uh, you know, is listener supported. It didn't talk about the support for grumpy old Ben's, which I just want to reiterate. We also do not take unsup- or any uh, no uh, corporate, corporate sponsors, money. No. Yeah. We operate on an unsupported model. Right. It's value for value without value to value. Yeah. It's hard it's to value out. for you guys are cheapskates model. And I asked it, uh, what can you tell me about Gene Nevtuliev? And it said he is not a widely recognized public figure. So can't tell him man. can't tell you anything about him. But then I asked uh, the scary question. What can you tell me about the podcaster Darren O'Neill? And the answer to that one was Darren O'Neill is a podcaster and media personality known for his involvement in the podcasting community, particularly within the network associated with the No Agenda show hosted by Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak. He has a background in technology, media production, and music, which often informs the content of his podcast and his approach to topics. I'm like, okay. Darren O'Neill, it says, is the co-host of the Grumpy Old Benz podcast, where he discusses technology, social issues, and media with his co-host, Ryan Bemrose. It should be the fabulous. Brian Bemrose. <laughs> Their show is known for its critical and often humorous takes on current events and impacts of technology on society. Additionally, O'Neill has been known to contribute art, jingles, and other content to the No Agenda show, making him a known figure within that community. This is just weird known stuff. Known figure. Yes, you, you need to put that in your bio. Darren O'Neill, known, known figure. figure. That would be perfect on a business card. I don't know. I you know partial credit because a lot of that was good, but. Uh, it called you a personality. I don't I really know. I don't have any. And it does talk in there again about the value for value model and that a couple other things mentioned. And then I asked it, what can you tell me about podcaster Ryan Bemrose? That's where it all went Nothing. right off the rails. <laughs> He's a very elusive. He is not a known entity. Sorry. Um, he is known as a co-host of the podcast. Grumpy old Ben's alongside Darren O'Neill. The podcast covers various. Is topics. he though? That's what they say. Bemrose brings to the podcast his own expertise and viewpoints, making for lively discussions and sometimes controversial takes on current events, 
sometimes controversial. That's toning it down a bit. Uh-huh. Outside of his role on Grumpy Old Ben's, there isn't a wealth of public information available about Ryan Bemrose, as he is as not it should be. a celebrity in the traditional sense. <laughs> but you, I guess you are a celebrity in some sense, if you're not a celebrity in the, the traditional yeah, no, I, sense. And that's going in my bio, Ryan Bemrose, untraditional celebrity. <laughs> he is known within the podcasting community for his work on this specific show. So... Uh, if you want to know more about him, it does say it's best to listen to episodes of Grumpy Old Ben's where this, this is some great PR. Thank you, ChatGPT. You know, nobody's going to read that. No, actually, no. that's not true. We GPT-5 is going to read that and then <laughs> GPT-6 will read what GPT-5 said about it and yes. so on down the line. Eventually, it'll be eventually. It'll be crap feeding into crap, feeding into crap. But Which, I was, if you start with Grumpy Old Ben's, you're on a really good track for that. But I was surprised that the latest version of this seemed fairly accurate. I mean, besides putting Adam Curry on the Rare Encounter show. We're so sorry, Adam. And besides a few other things, it is a pretty decent tool. I mean, you always want to fact check everything. You don't know how much it pleases me that that outside of this show, it knows nothing about me. That makes me happy. This is like your life's work is to make sure nobody knows anything. Like, what do you know about Ryan Bemrose? I just listen to grumpy old Ben's. That's all there is. Somebody asked me, uh, you know, when I was a kid, really long time ago, one of my, you know, schoolyard conversations, somebody was like, you want to be rich and famous when you grow up? And I'm like, well, I want to be rich. Right. And I've heard that from multiple Nashville songwriters, that that was the greatest gig ever is to write the song that somebody else like a Garth Brooks goes out and makes you millions of dollars and nobody knows who you are when you walk up and down the street you get the money besides i have i have all the fame i want with the very few people who respect me and all you people who don't respect why are you still listening because they enjoy the hilarity of the episodes the grumpy old bench yeah yeah, okay that's the next question where where do you think the humor comes in like what what is chat GPT laughing about? This is a very serious show. We laugh a lot in this show, but it's for serious matters. But we don't hug or share secrets. No, that would be wrong. Yeah. We do encourage you to hug and share secrets and then donate. Don't hug your secrets. No, no. Set them free. Set them free. So I was yes. impressed <laughs> from, from the last time that I had played with any of these large language models and the information was all pretty much mainly garbage. They're moving in the right direction, but that does scare me because I do not want people to get used to typing in things into a chat bot, like tell me about Ryan Bemrose. And then because the few things that they've checked were correct. So if I would have only looked up grumpy old Ben's and no agenda, I'd be like, wow, this thing was like a hundred percent accurate. It was awesome. And then somebody's going to go type in what's rare encounter. And they're like, Adam Curry host. Okay. That must be right because everybody's telling me that this thing is always correct. It's like, it's not. Well, the thing that entered my mind while you were doing this is that this is this is an existential threat for search engines. Like this oh, yeah. is the kind of thing that you you look at Google, one of the biggest companies in existence today, and you're like, they can't be stopped. Well, this is the kind of thing that can stop them. This is where the moment that people decide they're going to start going here for information and not to Google is when Google's entire empire crashes 
And I don't think it's a good thing because as you were saying, there's just enough inaccuracies out there that the moment somebody decides that their their everything engine is replaced with this and they right. expect, oh, of course, you know, then they're like, give me, I mean, here's the scenario. You got somebody out there who absolutely puts all their trust in their AI search engine and they're like, you know, I really like that no agenda. Give me some other really good podcasts with Adam Curry. Can right. you imagine the shattering of the brain? Rare Encounter is what you want to be listening to. No, no, it's not. Either that or it's more true than I give it credit for, because, you know, if if Cold Acid and uh, Adam Curry are actually the same person and only ChatGPT knew this, can can you imagine the bombshell? Bombshell. Bombshell. Breaking, breaking news, breaking, breaking, breaking. Why is the news always broken? Somebody get some damn duct tape. You need a lot of duct tape. Somebody in the Control room is out of control. No, the control room is out of control. I knew it was someone in the like troll that. room is out to troll. Now, here, here's where it's also wrong. I just asked uh, chat GPT name five podcasts. I'd like if I like no agenda. And uh, it gives me the Corbett report. Actually, I don't know what that is. The higher side chats, common sense with Dan Carlin, the Joe Rogan experience and the Tom Wood show. I mean, maybe those are fairly good for uh they can't be. None of them are on the no agenda stream. <laughs> Do you want only no agenda stream shows? I don't know. Maybe you can tell us about the no agenda. Stream Actually, what, what they are is they're all corporate. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Which is why they would probably come up at the top. As you said, also one of the problems when it comes to any of these search engine type thing, when you're asking for recommendations, of course, the Internet is going to be filled with a lot more information about shows like the Joe Rogan show than they are any show like Grumpy Old Ben's that is done on a much smaller manner. So the less Actually, listeners. That'd be an interesting uh, in, experiment would be uh, take a random podcast. If I like podcast X, what other podcasts would I like and find out what percentage of them pop up Joe Rogan? Because I right. bet Everything. I bet most of them. If like, if I listen, if I like the, uh, right. Rogan is everywhere. Yeah. No matter like what I, you say. If I like listening to pivot, what other podcast, Joe Rogan. If I like listening to rock and roll pre-show, what should I like? Joe Rogan. If I like listening to the sound of my own tinnitus, what else should I listen to? Joe Rogan. Well, it does help with the tinnitus. Any, uh, any pretty sound. much anything. Yeah. Any sound will uh, help that go away. Let's see. I asked it now. If I like listening to the Grumpy Old Ben's podcast, what other podcast should I listen to? It is thinking vehemently right now. Okay. Well, it, it can continue thinking. This segment bores me now. Yeah. No agenda. That was the number one. And then, oh, then podcasting 2.0 came up number two. Really? Uh huh. Security but neither of us now, has ever been on that. I don't know. Security now came up with Steve Gibson and Leo Laporte as third, a skeptic's <sighs> guide to the universe and the dick show. Holy I, cow. The dick show. Really? I understand this is a controversial position, but I might be the only dude named Ben in existence who is not completely enamored with security now. Yeah, I was years ago when those two guys actually were still somewhat relevant. I, Really appreciate that Steve Gibson is is even more of a tech luddite than I am, and yes. and you know is and and he is still as only cynical. uses magnetic drives. Yeah, that that he is a tech luddite. He only likes using technology from two thousand three 
and that he is cynical toward everything. I really appreciate, but there's a couple that, first of all, it, you know, on this show, I don't try to keep up on cutting edge stuff, but on security now he does, and he doesn't do a good job of it precisely because he's cynical and a Luddite. So he sees something new and is like, that's not going to catch on. And then suddenly he has to know about it. I, I'm not convinced it works, but that's not even the reason why I cannot stand that show. And the reason is not Steve Gibson. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, it could be the other guy. Could be. According to a report I saw on No Agenda Social. So this was all hearsay from the three letter guy from uh, the EU, the cartoon guy. Leo says he's over a million dollars in debt now. And if he doesn't get a bunch of subscriptions, he may have to shut down. Surprise to anyone. Crack out the violins. <laughs> I know. I mean, he's still got the big location there. So you have a studio in California. I know things must be way cheap to own or rent. Is he still in that huge brick? Yeah. Giant building studio. It looks that, like it anyway. That he nothing paid too much changed. money for uh -huh, when nothing. he was at the peak. Yes. <laughs> the one he moved to in Petaluma. I believe that's still where he is. Just from the screen caps that I've seen from mainly CSB. It doesn't look like a different location. So either they recreated it completely, which I doubt. Or they're still in that location, which cannot be cheap. California is no. not cheap. No, it was, it was, I mean, the studio was huge. It, it was, it was exactly at the highest point of twit and the highest point of podcast advertising when it looked like they could do no wrong. It was right. And they moved in. I don't remember how much that studio cost, but there was something like six different, uh, like they could record six different podcasts at a time. Right. Right. You know, my well, facts are all wrong. Set, because right. Set up for different set, shows. Set, set, that's where, but Either way, I mean, it, if if it had continued going up, then that guy would be on top of the world. But that was right about when people started realizing, wait a minute, there's no there's no bottom to the to the CPM. And there's really no reason for people to be advertising on podcasts because right. the engagement is nothing. Well, they realize downloads don't mean listeners. Yeah, that was a big part of it. And I think it was a little later that they realized that even all the download numbers were faked. And with any of the audio players that will allow you to play your podcast, I'm not aware of any except maybe Spotify that don't let you skip commercials. Meaning if it's something you can download, you can obviously skip the commercials if they're embedded in the audio. Yes. So this is why. This is why the only way that you can force people to listen to things you don't that they don't want to like ads is in a walled garden app. Yes, where you will have to you have to listen to this for me to feed you this. And it was interesting because there was a story I pulled a few weeks ago. We never got to it that people were complaining that YouTube was slowing down Firefox people that I, are you. Did you get I that? I have one? this one. See? It was in my notes from last week, and I pulled it forward. It's and, right in front of me. Well, it's a good art. I mean, it's again, it's a misconception of people because the complaints were like, well, they're obviously they're obviously racist against Firefoxers. You know, that's the kind of the first thing they jump to rather than going, well, why might this be? Well, it's it. I mean, it's not entirely false that Google really doesn't like people using not Chrome. True. They want Chrome because they want to be able to be the one to track you all the way through your Internet exploration. And because they can put code into Chrome that breaks ad blockers. Yes. And then sell the information 
I mean, and this is all in the context of YouTube's revenues are not as much as they want. And uh, they have fixated on the idea that people using ad blockers on YouTube is the reason why YouTube's revenues are going down. It has nothing to do with the quality of the content or the fact that 50% of your screen time is now ads or right. the fact that the entire UI is crap and ads and or their algo can't find things people want to look at, you know, all the other possibilities. No ad blockers, ad blockers are the only reason why YouTube could possibly be losing money. And Google has gone on a damn crusade. You know, they've got, they've been on manifest V3 for a while, which effectively kills all ad blockers. Once it's fully engaged, uh, trying to get rid of, is there any wonder that people would immediately jump to the conclusion? Oh, look, Firefox still allows full access to ad blockers. Google would want to disable it. Right. Or at least make it inconvenient. Like, okay, you might not see the ad, but you're going to wait long enough that it would have been an ad and you would wait. We're wasting your time either way. That kind of seems the way it is. So the, the info I've got on this uh, was, I mean, short version, uh, a Reddit user. So take always, with a grain of salt. Always accurate. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's where you get some of your fastest news, but you just have to. What you're saying you gotta, is random Reddit user just about as active as chat GPT as accurate as chat. GPT. No, I'm saying random Reddit user is uh, only marginally more accurate than breaking, breaking, breaking news in the main, mainstream media. Bob Shell. Yes. Um, comes up and did some uh, allegedly did some A-B testing where they showed recorded all this in a video, trying to load a video on YouTube, and it did this spinning circle for five seconds and then loaded the video. And then goes in, uses a, a, an add-on, whatever it is, to change the user agent manually to be Chrome's user agent, reloads the page, and it loads instantly. That was, that was the thing that set off the whole... It, Which um, is intriguing. And that is, I mean, that's interesting. Now you also go in and uh, some other people in the same thread analyze Google's JavaScript and found a snippet of code during the load process that literally adds a set timeout five seconds, which means it's not loading. It's not doing anything important during that time. It's waiting for five seconds because the JavaScript told it to wait for five seconds. That's really kind of sketchy. Uh, the users, in fact, used a um, JS console, like a user script, to modify that to five milliseconds instead of five seconds, and the problem went away. The pages loaded immediately. Now, we have no idea why specifically that delay was in there. We just know that the people who wrote the YouTube script decided that. It was important in these certain circumstances to stop bothering trying to load and wait five seconds and then continue trying to load the video. As for why they're doing it, that's something only Google can respond to. And Google's right. only response was, well, we, you know, we cannot ensure your user experience is good unless you use uh, a Chrome or another fully uh, supported browser. Which, by the way, Google also points out that it works on vanilla Firefox, not Firefox with add-ons. Um, well, this would be true. If you're trying to do something to 
alter the content in a way they don't like it. You're seeing it on regular non-video web pages now. Please disable your ad blocker if they're nice. Yeah. And, and specifically, again, from the same Reddit thread, yes, I read this. And yes, I did have to go pick up my brain cells off the floor afterward. <laughs> and take a warm shower. From this thread, the uh, once Google said it was you know add-ons that were causing the problem, uh, they went ahead and did some more science. And that... I, for whatever is wrong with most of the Reddit users, the fact that you can find people doing real science, like A-B testing, like turn this on, check it, turn it off, test it. That is science. What they seem to have, the consensus in the thread seemed to be that there was one specific add-on that was in fact causing this code to be triggered. Would you like to know what that add-on was? I'm guessing an ad blocker. It was uBlock Origin. There you go. So... We cannot say for sure that Google was malicious in this case, but there was code that caused a, 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 a arguably unnecessary five second delay. That code seemed to trigger only in a non Google browser and only when an ad blocker was installed. And I don't trust Google. So, as with many Redditors, my mind went straight to oh, they are trying to punish people using ad blockers. Yeah. And I get it. I mean, I may not like it, but I understand the economics of the situation that it costs a lot of money to store videos and stream them with the bandwidth. I mean, it's trivial to some, but it all adds up. That's yes, that's the standard argument. And I am never going to make an argument that, oh, Google should offer this service for free. I don't think that's the right solution. I think the right solution is that people should stop using a service that is this openly user hostile. But since people are going to use YouTube anyway, I'm going to continue using my ad blocker. Yeah. If you find something that works by all means, I mean, I was, I, I went the lazy route on this and just paid the $12 a month or whatever it is. And I never have to worry about an ad popping up, no matter if it's on the Roku or watching it on the phone or whatever it is. And I don't watch a ton of YouTube, but I watch Bandrew show. Every week, I watch Kenny Wallace, the race car driver show, uh, Haley Deegan, the race car driver. There's a few people that I follow that I just couldn't handle seeing ads. So for me, it's worth it. It may not be the best 12 bucks I'm spending, but it takes the problem away. And from what I understand, if you are somebody that's paying and Bandrew has broke this down because he's a great you talk about people doing a B testing. Oh, yeah. Bandrew does real science. You now, know, he shows. I've never watched him do science, it's awesome. but I listened to the audio version of his podcast. And it seems like he proved that if you're a paid YouTube member watching his show, he gets money and he was getting more money from the people that paid than the people were that were watching ads, which I found was interesting that they even break it down that way. If you're a content creator on YouTube, but I'm like, well, that's good because I feel at least a little better knowing part of that $12. It might only be like 10 cents, but. At least that part's going to Bandrew, but it also takes care of the ads, pay the money. Yeah. And it's not so a as, crazy amount. As long as we're on alternate browsers, uh, I have what uh, this one. Um, I don't know who Bryce Ray is, but uh, I saw spotted this going through my my feed in No Agenda Social this morning and thought it was important enough to mention sort of a PSA. There is a spec type document, uh, U.S. Web Design System Standard, which is put out by the government, which says that 
the all government web pages must support any browser with at least 2% market share, according to analytics.usa.gov. So the browsers that have at least 2% market share right now, you know it, you know which they are. Uh, Chrome, Safari, Edge, and Firefox. Chrome has almost 50%, just under. Safari has almost 40%. Edge has 8%. And Firefox, as of a couple days ago, has 2.2% browser share. Whoa, wait, wait. That's all Firefox is, is a little over that's 2%? A, that's, that's the concern. Now, if you recall, Chrome, Safari, and Edge are all the same browser. Yeah, they're all the same back end. The code Firefox base. is pretty much the only browser engine that is not run by Google these days. And the share has been steadily going down since it peaked in around 2009. People have just not been using Firefox. The problem is, according to if if according to this website, that number drops below 2%, then according to these standards, U.S. government websites will no longer be not required to support Firefox. Now, the speculation made by this uh, Bryce Ray, again, don't know who he is, but the link will be in the show notes. And I don't necessarily disagree with is that the moment that the U.S. government stops officially supporting Firefox, that will be a cue amongst the people who design websites all over the place, uh, the, the people who make the awful JavaScript web frameworks, the people who make everybody who makes websites will look at this and go, well, if Firefox is below 2% and not even the government is looking at them, then we don't care about Firefox anymore. And once that happens, sites will start breaking on Firefox. Once when sites are broken on Firefox, people will stop using Firefox even more. It will crash in market share. And what we will end up with is something that we have been concerned with for five, eight years, a browser monoculture, because Firefox is the only thing that is making website designers not just straight design for Chrome engine and do, you know, bend over for Google. The website will only work in there. 15 years ago, if your website was not supported on a particular browser, then you might have some rendering errors. But nowadays, when everything is JavaScript, what you're going to get is a blank freaking page with it, which if you hit F12 and bring up the JavaScript console, you might be able to debug and find the obscure line of code somewhere deep in a library that says, oh, this failed and therefore we're not going to bother trying to render the page. The idea of a browser being unsupported when your entire page is some kind of dynamic 80 megabyte JavaScript monstrosity means that you don't just get a minor rendering error and go, oh, I guess I can still read it. You get nothing at all. The idea of a browser monoculture is scary, and we are apparently closer to it than even I anticipated. Yeah, the, the Google AI is telling me it's a 2.77 as of June 3rd. And Google's already, I guess, doing the AI thing in their search queries. It's like generative AI is experimental, but this info quality may vary, but it gives you the information that you asked for. And it also had some fairly recent information on browser market share. And it looks as of fairly recently, Opera was at about 3%, but that's pretty close to falling off as well. And Opera is also Chrome. Oh, that's a, they went to a Chrome backend and Opera now too? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Well, Opera, Opera is not the Opera that I grew up like, well, I didn't grow up, but 
when it was young, Opera was when when Opera was young. It was an independent browser, and somewhere along the line, it got sold out and went corporate and became just a platform for serving stuff I didn't want in my browser. Um, and but I'm as far as I'm aware, it's Chromium now. Interesting. I have the uh, default uh, browser. Vivaldi is Chromium. Uh, Brave is Chromium. Yes. I have my parents' computer set to default to Firefox. And every now and then I get a phone call like, this site won't work. It's like, well, go here, do this. And, you know, I either remote in or tell them to go to Brave or whatever else is on there. And it works. So I can see this is going to, once it becomes obvious that the market share is too low and Firefox is too different, you're going to have people just letting it go and be like, eh, we don't need to worry about it. So I guess my warning here is go install Firefox right now and use it as often as you can. Or in five years, you will be Google's bitch. Yeah. And I think this also goes for if you use the Mulvad VPN, which I like to. They now have it so you can pay for your month to month with Mulvad using Lightning. So that's really convenient for me. But they have the Mulvad browser, which is based on Firefox. So if you really want some privacy, do something like that. But I would explain why they're using the Firefox backend because, you know, no Google. Yeah, it helps. Until the people all just be just imagine the world where you try to go to your bank site or wherever you're going. And it's just a blank page that says you cannot use this browser to access this site. Yeah. If it says anything at all. Right. True. You know, but at a blank page that says you must download Chrome is at least failing gracefully, but that presupposes a level of programming skill that I'm not sure I attribute to modern web developers anymore. Well, don't you know, all these I think things that are what you're written. going to get is, is a blank page and you have to hit F12 and find the JavaScript error. Find the error. Yeah. It's all going to be written by chat GPT, isn't it? <laughs> Half of it is. I want to I try think one of the reasons why chat GPT has GPT has struggled so much to create real programming is it's being trained on programmers who suck. Right. Well, this is, I didn't say what you're going to create is going to be good, but I'd like to try that with like a very simple thing. One of the things we need is an Amazon, you know, the devices. I don't want to even say the name because it's like 40 feet away and it'll still go off. But the, Echo, sell Bitcoin. Yes, exactly. All of it. Now, uh, whatever they call it, the things that they run, I don't know, is it apps? Whatever their little cute thing is in the Amazon ecosystem. There used to be one to activate and listen to the No Agenda Stream Live, where we do these shows and other shows go on 24 hours a day. You may know the No Agenda Stream because you're the curator of it. And yes, I've heard of it. There was a skill. That's what they call them. Yes. on Amazon. There was a skill for the no agenda stream and it disappeared. And I kept hoping somebody else was going to do this because it has to be just as easy as giving it the web address and saying play. But if I have to look into this myself, I will. It's got to be just as easy as downloading the SDK and writing an app. Right. Now, maybe chat GPT can do that. Be like, write me uh, an Amazon app. Go. I want to play this stream. Do it. Can't be that hard. Once the, once the, uh, Chat GPT is writing all of our apps. They will be way more secure. Nothing. I don't know. I, I, I like the one you were using earlier. What what, what was that one called again? Chat GOB. Right. Chat GOB is the best. 
we should offer that and just put all of the transcripts from yeah. this show in. And then if people have questions like, hey, what do you think of this? Yeah, we'll just spit it right out at them. Yeah, we'll, we'll just, we'll, it, we'll have chat GOB that, that generates free advice. And you ask it a question and it'll give you a canned response like stick your phone in a drawer right. or right. You know, uninstall that app. Uh, yes, uh, chat GBGOB, I'm having uh, chest pains and I'm sweating a lot. What should I do? Throw your phone in the drawer. <laughs> we you know, not, it can't hurt. Yeah, we do not give medical advice on chat. GOB. It will, in fact, improve your blood pressure. Yeah, it will go down so low you won't even believe you're alive. I Healthy choices for a healthy lifestyle. True. And uh, how much bacon did you eat today? Not enough. Never enough. <laughs> Is there enough? How much can you fit in an air fryer? What's your, well, what's your preferred method of cooking the bacon? That's the, first uh, this, question. this was, uh, I deep fry it in its own fat in a cast iron pan. You deep fry in its own fat. Wow. That is, that's like caveman stuff. Well, uh, yeah, the, the method is pretty easy. You heat up a cast iron pan and you put the bacon in the bottom and the first few strips of bacon ended up getting fried and the, the, Fat renders out, and the rest of them are just effectively deep fried. Mm, don't have a <laughs> kind of how bacon in it, unless unless you're draining the the liquid from the pan in between each segment, then there you're effectively deep frying the second, third, and fourth batches of bacon. No splattering problem. You don't have a big mess on the stove after you're done. I uh, my technique involves actually a very low temperature. Oh, so it's a slow go. It is a slow go. This, this bacon took about 55 minutes. Ooh, I like just putting it in the air fryer, like seven minutes. Boom. You're done. You're eating it. And do you have any splattering problem? No. I mean, there may you, be a green. You not open the air there. fryer while it's cooking. <laughs> no, you do not want to do that. <laughs> I've always been waiting for the thing to just ignite overall though, into a grease fire, but as of yet, not, no, seems to work. Okay. Maybe there's just not enough grease. I'll have to keep trying harder. People I mean, need to afterward, yes, I, I, I do have some grease on the stovetop from a tiny bit of splatter and a little and, and dripping as you pull it out. But so that's what sponges are for. And you clean it up while you're eating the delicious, delicious exactly. bacon. And then when you're completely done and the pan has cooled sufficiently and all the bacon is out and you've got nothing but a big container of grease, you can pick up and just drink that grease straight out of the pan. Mmm, tasty. Your blood pressure will not thank you for that particular <laughs> part of the process. Actually, that's not what I do. I say I, I do save the grease in little oh, yeah, containers because I use them to fry everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Would you want to make a few fried eggs? You want to put that in butter? No, you want to make it in some bacon grease. Hell, yeah. You want to make some chocolate chip cookies for the Christmas holidays? You want to put that in? Oh, bacon grease. Bacon grease does everything. It's a magical thing. It's a magic. In fact, this is a magical food. Bacon is like, if only this came from a real animal. Oh, wait. It does. Little piggies. Oh, my God. Running amok until they're not, until they're in your frying pan. So what else do I have? Uh, apparently, this has been a big thing just today. Uh, I wanted to get your, your take on it. Um, there was, uh, it started out political because Senator Ron Wyden, who 
he's a he's a Democrat from Oregon, but we try not to hold that against him because he's one of the few people who pushes for digital rights online, or at least privacy. Uh, sent out a letter saying that government officials have been using push notifications to track people, and at the time we'd heard nothing from tech companies about this and. The other thing that Wyden asked was he asked the DOJ to, quote, repeal or modify any policies that were hindering the discussion of this topic. As soon as he did that, Apple came out and said, oh, yeah, this happens. But the federal government was prohibiting us from sharing that information. So uh, Apple said, now that this method's public, we are updating our transparency, reporting to detail that, yes, governments, they did not specify which governments. But if you think the U.S. government isn't doing it, you're deluding yourself. Uh, have been tracking people via push notifications, uh, including, as we're probably pretty aware, that's how they got a hold of a lot of the people who were happened to be in Washington, D.C. on the day that a fraudulent election was certified. Well, we know that the GPS locations on most phones are on, and there's definitely a way to track that way there's definitely a way to track just being having your phone ping a certain tower but what was actually going on here because with the push notification okay you know i have the mastodon program on my phone so when something pings me on mastodon i get an alert that's a push notification uh how is it getting information back so most services are initiated by the client. Uh, websites for you know web is if you want a web page, then your client will initiate a connection to the server, and then the server uses that connection to send data back. Um, anything that pulls, like uh, most podcast apps these days, still will pull on a timer. You know, I want to know when a new podcast comes out. Well, they don't know immediately when the new podcast comes out. It's every 15, 30 minutes, whatever the setting is. And by the way, there might be podcast apps that use push notifications these days. I don't know. But you go ahead and every 30 minutes, your phone will initiate a connection and say, hey, you got anything new? Go. Well, the problem that was when push notifications were created, the problem was. Hey, I don't, you know, if, if I pull at this moment and then one minute later, a new message comes in, like say email, right. And then it's 14 more minutes before I pull again, then I didn't get that email for 14 whole minutes and I can't possibly stand it. And also I have ADHD because our entire civilization does and can't possibly wait 15 minutes to know whether or not you got a new podcast or a new email. I personally don't enable push notifications because I'm perfectly fine with polling every hour or every half hour because I don't need to be seen that often. However, push notifications were created because people were not getting messages the instant that they existed. So the way that a push notification works is instead of a, a polling model where the client checks your, your phone tries to say, hey, I got a new one your client will register a small token and then the server will then when something new comes in, will send initiate the connection back to your phone oversimplified, but the two results, one, you can get it immediately 
two is that it does require a centralized server somewhere. If, if I am polling my email box, then the only sites on the internet that are particularly involved in that, notwithstanding IP address tra- or IP transit, the only sites that are involved are my client and my mail server or whatever mail server I'm. But if there's a push notification, what you need is, is usually at uh, either uh, Apple or Google servers or uh, your mobile carrier service, T-Mobile, AT&T, et cetera. There needs to be some kind of server which is doing the polling on your behalf and batching them up and then sending them on. Long explanation, but what this what I'm saying is that push notifications, because of the way the protocol works, are necessarily centralized. Anything that is centralized can be subpoenaed by a government or by anybody, anybody who can get a man in the they are a site for a man in the middle attack. Justice Department and other law enforcement agencies love being the man in the middle, sometimes via court order, sometimes via national security letter, sometimes via uh, sending people into the office and saying, hey, you're going to give us access or we'll shoot people. So what you have is now that every service on the planet uses push notifications, what you have is all you have to do if you want to track where somebody is at this moment is trigger a push notification to them and have a listening device at AT&T, at Apple, at wherever. And now, because that centralized server has to know where to send it, who to send it to, then your your location is immediately given up, your name, your address, uh, your current online status. The number of services that have push notifications, uh, if you're... Uh, if you communicate with almost every messaging service uses push notifications, now they know who you communicated with, uh, how often you talk to them. Uh, if you use push notifications to initiate calls, you know uh, who you're calling. The, there's an incredible wealth of data just in the fact that these notifications are going through. And that's even assuming that the developers were encrypting the connection, which doesn't happen most of the time. So what would normally be thought of as just a one-way message that would be able to gather zero information turns out can actually gather quite a bit. Yes, that's yes. You've correctly summarized (laughs) because it's like, that's just, it breaks your brain because you're like, well, okay, I'm having a push notification, which just means it's alerting me to something you never think. Well, because it's alerting me, Wherever I are, wherever I are, it's, this is yes. not a, this is not a grammar podcast. Where, yes. Wherever I am at the time, that location's going to be given up because of that. You would never even assume or guess that that was the capability that they have. And this is a uh, pretty nefarious way. If you are looking to track, say, you know, a bunch of people that listen to a subversive podcast. Yeah. Now that all it, these push notifications. It might just be your podcast app that gives you a way. If, if your podcast app doesn't do the old school polling RSS feeds model and instead relies on a push notification from a central server that says so that you can get the moment that RSS feed updates, the moment that the pod ping activates, your app 
could be smart enough to go, there was a pod ping five seconds ago. Let's send a push notification to them. And if you're listening to a subversive podcast, that push notification now contains what you're listening to, uh, who it's being sent to, and where you are, what your current address, you know, your current status, your GPS, whatever information is included in there, plus whatever information is necessary to route. All of this easily filterable because it goes through a centralized place. Now, there's lots of centralized places where all your traffic goes through. Your ISP, for example, if you're uh, if you're on a landline like me, there's lots of ways people can get this information. But I think that the way that our society has been moving in the last few years, it becomes necessary to think about decentralization because every centralized service is a potential place for a man in the middle attack. Now, no matter who your threat actor is, whether that threat actor be a hacker, you know, the people we're told to hate or or distrust, or that threat be Google or Apple, who may or may not be working on behalf of somebody else you don't, whoever you don't trust. Every single time there's a centralized server somewhere that things go through, there's a possibility for somebody to get that information to, and I haven't even touched on the fact that once there's a centralized server, once they have their hooks in there, they can also modify that information in transit on the way through if it's not encrypted, which again, the vast majority of push notifications being very small datagrams are not encrypted. The only way to, the only way it would be encrypted is if the developer intended end to end encryption. If it's not encrypted, they can modify your push notification as it goes through. So instead of telling you that your podcast has updated or instead of telling you, hey, you've got a new email from the IRS saying, you know, they can they can spoof it. They can fake you. The number of things I'm, I'm being inarticulate right now. But I guess what I'm saying is that the moment that somebody you don't trust gets access to this sort of thing you've lost any kind of trust in the channel and almost every app out there uses push notifications because, because polling drains battery life because polling takes time. And apparently this has been going on for quite a while and Apple just decided, Hey, Oh good. You know, now that, now that Ron Wyden wants us to have this conversation. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's been happening for years. No, that scares me. Yeah, the concept of how the push works, then you're saying if you have a podcast app, if you've got, God forbid, your Facebook app, you have to have that running on your phone for the push notifications to be enabled. So there's right there for any apps that you don't use, turn off, well, delete. Not not necessarily running. There are several types of running and uh, any app that registers for a push notification if you just swipe to close it, it's not closed. It leaves a small part of the app in the background for the purpose of receiving. Them. So mm-hmm. not running it is not usually sufficient. You have to like in order to make it actually not able, if you have the Facebook app installed and make it to make it not able to receive these push notifications, you really have to go in and, and start removing code or restricting permissions. Effectively, right. any app, it, it, for simplicity, just assume any app that is installed 
and is capable of receiving push notifications probably is. Whether or not you run it, even if you reboot your phone and never launch it, if it is installed on there, it is probably receiving those. Yeah, even if you go into your settings and disable push notifications for that particular program, you still can't guarantee that something's not coming through. Well, if you disable push notifications for a particular program, then they are still arriving at your phone. They're just not being delivered to the program, which means that from the perspective of the centralized server, the damage is done anyway, if that's your problem. Now, if your problem is Facebook is annoying as shit, then yes, disabling push notifications for Facebook works great. That solves that one. But the server has already sent it. Uh, the only way to actually protect yourself from the threat that I sort of described, but not very well, is to disable all push notifications on your phone. Now, that's something most people aren't willing to do because it hamstrings a lot of apps. It makes a lot of apps not work. It makes it so that suddenly you can't be connected at a moment's notice. It means that, oh my gosh, I might actually have to live my life without all these voices in my head. <laughs> I mean, voices in my hand, wherever you keep your phone. Now, what about running a VPN service on your mobile device? Even if it's as simple as always being connected to your home, would this at least close that location pinging ability for these? Because is it grabbing the IP address that you're at? I mean, is it actually because it's not getting anything back? So it's not like it's getting your GPS information back. And if the information well, it, is pinging your phone and your phone's behind an IP, does that mean that the phone company doesn't know exactly where you are at that particular point? Well, the phone company always needs to know how to connect directly to your phone. Correct. And when with push notifications enabled, what's happening is that every time you have a network connectivity change, uh, which most often if you're traveling every time you connect to a new Wi-Fi tower, which is why you should always turn off Wi-Fi while you're traveling. Um, but every time you drive by a new tower, your phone detects, gets a new IP address right. and then informs the centralized server. Oh, here's where I am and how to reach me right now. Every single time. Now, if you're running through a VPN, then you, you'll get some protection depending on where, you know, where the VPN is picked up. And what you might end up doing is sending constant pings that are constantly going through the, I mean, actually do push notifications even work through VPN? I believe so. Now, because I, I'm I am these, honestly not certain. I, 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 I did not read up on this as much as I should have the, the specific technical. So well, I'm, cause I'm, one of I'm these, winging some of these questions. I'm one of these cheap motherfuckers who turns off mobile data because I don't want to be accessing the internet on my phone. Yeah. And I'm one of these cheap motherfuckers who turns my phone into airplane mode because I don't want people to contact me. That's even phone. better. Well, that's more of a, that's more of a hermit. That's more of an uncle Ted thing, but that's okay. But I was amazed. I know I have talked with you on this program about this before. I've been amazed by having that phone of mine, which is just a Samsung Android phone through Xfinity. They're mobile. And I have mobile data turned off, but I have the Wi-Fi turned on to where if it finds an Xfinity hotspot, it will connect automatically. Now, I get it. That's also an issue. So you run a VPN if you want extra protection. But the thing that amazed me 
is just like driving from here to my parents' house, which is, you know, 20, 25 minutes away. It's like you never lose. I mean, okay, you lose connectivity, but there's enough times in that journey where it finds a Wi-Fi, has time to connect to it, grab whatever it needs to do. Like if somebody had sent you yeah. a message or an email and pop up on your screen. So it's oh, like, certainly. And anything asynchronous will work great. Now, I will tell you that if I ever want to stream from my phone, right, then I have to shut off Wi-Fi because otherwise it interrupts the stream every single time. Right, because you'd I connect rather to use tower. Wi-Fi, right? Like, no. Just keep using my <laughs> unlimited data that you're not going to charge me more for or anything. Yeah. Freaking so uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb, and I know you don't hear me say these words very often and say that I don't know if how much protection a VPN will get you that that might be the kind of thing that I would look up. But honestly, I don't know if we're ever going to talk about this again. It's not like we revisit topics. We do every now and then every now and then. And I've watched a few videos of the guy on YouTube. Rob Braxman, I think his name is the Internet privacy guy. He's an old Asian dude. And he's like, you know, if you have a phone, you're pretty much screwed. I mean, you have the de-googled phones. And yes, those are good for keeping tracking but it's like most people are not going to do what this guy does because he talked about something that you and i talked about very early on with grumpy old bends and that was the browser fingerprinting issue yes which is even if you're really cute and you're using vpns and changing your ips they can tell by the things that the little scripts tell them about the monitor yeah. the computer the fonts on your system yeah what what it's it's a combination of a whole lot of things. What what fonts you support, what your screen resolution is, your your window resolution, uh, what, you know, what kind of devices you have attached, what you know, if you have a camera, what its resolution is. It, all of these things that independent services that, if a website wants to deliver you a particular type of media, you know, what kind of microphone you have, whether or not it's set to a certain bit rate. All of these things independently don't seem like they're all that sensitive data, but when you put them all together and hash the entire mess, you get a pretty unique signature per person. Yes. Which means it doesn't matter what you're doing because he went through this whole thing like, well, I only use this browser for this and I never log in to Gmail with it, you know, so it's never Google. So I use Firefox. And of course, I will never log into Google on my Firefox and I use that for this. But if I go to my banking site and I need to log in with something, I go to this browser and he's like, you keep these things different in different browsers. I'm like, most sane, rational people are not going to set up a system where it's like, I'm going to need 15 browsers installed. And I use this one for my shopping and I use this one for my banking and I use this one to surf porn and I use this one to hack the Pentagon and this one, you know, it's too hard to keep track of all that. I'm pretty sure you just called me insane and irrational. Oh, is this exactly what you're doing right now? This is, He's I, like, I have uh, at this very moment, I think one, two, three, four, five. And you're like, how did he know I'm hacking the Pentagon as I'm doing the show? I have seven browsers installed right now. I probably have at least that, but I don't use them all <laughs> with regularity. No, no, the there's four that I use regularly. Let me see. What's it? I mean, I have most of them on my taskbar here. So I have Microsoft Edge although I hate it and I mean, it's not a bad browser, but it's the one thing I don't have any of the ad blocking and all that kind of stuff. So every now and then, if I run across a site that will not work, 
somewhere else because of an add-on, I will go there. Uh, I've got Vivaldi, which I don't know why, but it was one of those back in the day that was a thing. I've got Pale Moon. I mean, I know you've got Pale Moon. I The four that I use regularly are Pale Moon, Firefox, Chromium, and Brave. Yeah, I've got Firefox. I've got Brave. I've got the Mulvad, which, like I said, that is based upon Firefox. And I think that's it. I haven't installed Chromium in a while. I'm sure I've still got a copy somewhere. I used to use that when we were doing multiple audio streams coming in on CleanFeed, where you could just launch Chromium and Chrome and then get two. And then you could actually do more than one Chromium, too. And I also have what else? I also have Waterfox, Vivaldi, and IE11 installed. Ooh, IE11! Now there's a rarity. You are hardcore. I, need to, I, I should just go in and uh, and rip out IE11 because the last time I tried to launch it, it would not load a web page. It just said install Edge. I'm like, I've got enough Chrome-based browsers, thank you. Yeah, it's like when you were trying to use the uh, the Flash thing after they had discontinued it. No, you can't use it. Dangerous, dangerous. The internet's dangerous, kids. Come on. Yeah. yeah. The world is dangerous. Get used to it. Yeah. If I want stop trying to make everything safe. I know that is the biggest fallacy of all is that we can so make the it road safe. to tyranny. Uh-huh. And now I sound like Larry. Stop trying to make everything safe. You will never sound Except like Larry. My, no, no, no. I mean, what I'm saying sounds like Larry. My voice could never sound like Larry. Oh, right. Yeah. That's that's yeah. more accurate. That is more accurate. And yes, DigiGuru in the uh, troll room pointing out. You can do a four stop on Android to actually get it to stop. Yes. So you think. I do a four stop on Android all the time. It's called turning my phone off and putting it in a drawer. Turn the phone off in its entirety. If it has no power, it can do nothing. Allegedly. Yes. Open up the back and remove the batter. Oh, hell. Well, that's been foiled, hasn't it? You may now turn off your computer. I, I very much regret the. The fact that phones no longer have removable batteries, that that was a huge step backwards as far as I was concerned. Oh, yeah. And I have a new reason to believe that. Well, we know a big part of that was so you couldn't keep the same damn phone for 10 years. I, You know, that's the if you ascribe nefarious intent to the people who manufacture the phones. And I do. Yeah, I do, too. Then then that is that is a very valid reason. If you just assume that it's from a design and bean counter perspective, having to uh, making the battery removable adds two extra layers of thick plastic case, one on the outside of the battery and one in the inside of the battery compartment, which makes your phone thicker. Uh, it makes it more expensive. It makes it uh, more difficult. Uh, you have to develop a connector that will survive, you know, disconnecting. Re- I understand from the perspective of I am designing a device and I want it to be very thin, very light, little material, much more rugged that you just if you don't make the battery removable, you like you can't get dirt into a sealed battery compartment. I get that. That said, the fact that it also means that you have to replace your phone because the battery is a consumable probably factors in. Well, I think it's even worse when it comes to laptops not having replaceable batteries just from yes that used to be the I way have, if you wanted to be off the grid for a few days you bought a few extra batteries i have a dell xps from 2012 that's still next to me it's running arch right now and i i realized that the battery was completely shot 
I went out and got a third part, uh, third party aftermarket battery, popped it in. This thing now has seven hours of battery life. You're like, this is which, awesome. By the way, running Arch, that's pretty good. Yeah. Well, yeah, for a computer of that age, too, seven hours is pretty good. I know the new it's Apple devices are, are, are saying they can get over 24 hours, which I want to see that. Well, my my Samsung gets over 24 hours, if even if I forget to turn drawer. it off. Right. Yeah. But if I mean, if I'm not using it, battery but life here, goes way up when you turn everybody off. knows that, you know, batteries when they're manufactured, a battery has a, a limited number of charge discharge cycles. And the more you use it, the smaller the cycles get. And this was something that I was lamenting with somebody this morning. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell the anecdote. When I go out, we there are two very important things in my job. Without both of them, I cannot exist. One is is the large Ford Sprinter van or um, that contains all of the packages I'm supposed to deliver. I thought you but were the talking other about thing, the portable urinal. Uh, you know, actually, I'm pretty much required to provide one of those myself. It, it helps to have to know the spots on your route where you're completely surrounded by bushes. If you back the van in in a certain way and there's no cameras just so that you, anyway. Um, but the second thing that is absolutely critical to this job is my entire life is run by an app when I'm on the clock. That's got to make you so happy. Oh no, no. Because for one thing I want to, I want to find the programmers in charge of this app and beat them to death with an unfixed bug database. <laughs> Just give me the, give me the source code in a build environment and I will fix the top 10 bugs that frustrate the crap out of me. And then I'll go ahead and create a pull request and you can have my fixes for free. I won't even charge you. Just stop making me use this buggy piece of crap. Have you offered to do that? I'm kind of curious what happens when you offer that to the company. You're like, you know, I'm a better programmer than whoever fucking built this. I have, in fact, mentioned this to the people that I have contact with, but they are separated by at least 12 layers of bureaucracy from the people who actually write the code, because those people are all ensconced in a glass walled office building somewhere in the U district in Seattle. So how long uh, until like, your computer, or your little app thing is jailbroke and the Bemrose version of the software now shows you driving and delivering well, packages while you're sitting at home and drinking? So <laughs> <laughs> now you're thinking, I, right? Yeah, I'm not sure that would work because I, I, I'd have to like set fire to the packages or something like they don't they don't just disappear on their own. Yeah, but you could have a the company. My my company does provide me a phone. But I get a different phone every day. It's not like there's a dedicated one, and I certainly don't get to take it home. The problem is that these phones get used for this app, which, given that I am I am using the app to navigate to the next stop, I'm using the app to figure out which package, I'm using the app to scan the package to make sure it's the right one, I'm using the app to take a photograph of the package when it's at the customer door, uh, the app is constantly checking GPS to make sure that I'm in the right area so that it can punish me if the freaking database full of locations happens to have a wrong. Uh, don't even get me started on how awful they're when there's an inaccurate GPS pin. But these things basically never, you know how with a phone, five minutes of inactivity and it turns the screen off to save battery life. Right. The screen never turns off on these things. Well, they figure you're always working and will need the information. And so as a result, you've basically got the screen going and all the radios operating and the camera going 
the entire length of the shift, which is 10 plus hours. Are you racing the battery on this all day? All day. <laughs> and these phones get this every single day. They get charged to full. They get run completely out. Along with the key to the van and the phone, the most important thing that I am given in the morning is a uh, aftermarket battery brick with a US and a USB cord. Oh, right. Yeah. I've got tons of those from when I did all. The and Amazon I have things. to, I have to keep the phone plugged in as often as possible so that it's effectively charging all day because without charging, these phones have about a three hour battery life and walking around. Like if it normally, if I can, I just try to keep it charging while I'm in the van and I leave the battery brick in the van. But if the phone is really bad, you have to, walk around with the phone in your hand, a USB cable running from the phone to the battery brick in your pocket and hope that you don't move around too much and it yanks the cord out. That is the state that we're in with these damn phones. Why? Because the batteries can't be removed. Yeah. If the batteries were still removable on phones, then my company could just load me up with the phone and four extra batteries and be like, go all day. Every time a battery runs down, just swap it out. No problem. We'll charge it up against late. That would be amazing. We can't do this. I have to walk around with a USB cable and two phone size blocks in my hand in order to finish my job. This is untenable. Why? Because Apple and Google and Samsung and whoever else makes phones can't stand the idea of making batteries removable because then people might be able to use their old hardware. Yeah. What you need is a battery that is about the size of the phone and then just Velcro them sums of bitches together with a very short uh, cable. There are actually people who have done this. I've seen it. They have uh, not Velcro, but rubber bands that were rubber band, the two devices together. And then uh, (laughs) what, what I've actually seen was a particularly complicated knot with a, a two foot USB cable that was plugged into both devices and then wrapped around. And the USB cable was the thing that held the devices together. It was ghetto AF. But it worked, right? No, no, no not really. <laughs> <laughs> that was the problem. Okay. Yeah, because the battery on some of those, uh, that would, yeah, they only give you a couple of hours and then you're like, well, now what? Yeah. And then you learn certain tricks like how to, you know, how to optimize. Like when I'm handed a phone in the morning, the very first thing I do is reboot the mofo. <laughs> can you turn the brightness down too? Can yeah. you do all You can turn of- the brightness down, which works great in overcast skies. That's fine. Uh, if the sun is out, then, oh my God, no. <laughs> now, yeah, if there, you there's didn't tricks. have to take a picture of the package, then you wouldn't have to ever unhook it from the truck. But that's the problem. Like you got to be unencumbered, baby. You got to. Yeah. Yeah. You got to, you got to take the, like the phone cannot leave me. There is no moment when I don't have to in, in my normal event that I don't have to have the phone right next to me. You got to be untethered. I got to be and Yeah. Like I said, if, if batteries were still replaceable, this would not be a problem. But, uh, Samsung, you have my ire. You have my, I'm grumpy. Yeah, because we know companies like this aren't like, hey, we'll just buy a new phone every year. No, no, they're like, well, apparently buying a new phone every few months is really what is expected uh, for this job. Is that how quick these things die because of the constant use that? Well, how how many how many full charge recharge cycles do you normally expect from a phone? I've seen. Honestly, I've seen anywhere between 200 and 500. 
That's like well, the total before it's dead. Well, you're effectively burning two of them every day. One for the phone itself and one for the recharge on the power brick. If give or take. Well, true, because that is also another charge. Yeah. So, you know, if it's two, 200 before the battery life is so small that it can't go a whole day, that means that the average phone lasts three months under these conditions. Now, these are extreme conditions. No normal human should ever do that. Now, I'm sure there's some people on Instagram who probably use their phone that much, but no normal human should use a phone that much. But this is depending on which phone I get. Sometimes these things like I am handed a phone. I turn it on. And by the time it boots up, it's down to 97% power. <laughs> Wait, they didn't even do anything. <laughs> I believe it. That's technology. Yeah. I was trying to see how many times my battery has been uh, and, recharged on this phone. And by the way, Amazon's still pushing to uh, change some of their gas fleet out for the Rivian electric vehicles. Like I want that pain in the ass for my van too. Dude, you're going to have to have a really big battery pack strapped to your yeah, ass to uh, gonna, keep that car. I'm going to have to <laughs> strap a van size battery pack to the top of this van just so that I can keep it charged all day. It's the only way to keep it running. That's all we know. Uh, people are crazy, man. People are crazy here. My battery power saving. No, I've got one day and seven hours left. It says, uh, let's see. Always on display. Of course. Okay, well, let me look at my phone. It says, huh, interesting. The display's not on. Oh, well, that's even better. I know on my Apple device, it used to show like how many times the battery had been screwed and, uh, you know, how many charge cycles it's been through. I don't know if Android shows that. It says a full charge for me will last about two days and two hours, which means I use my phone almost as much as you use yours. I think, yeah, well, not leaving the house makes it easy. Yes, I think Blitzed has the right idea. Uh, you just throw a big diesel generator into the back of your electric van. <laughs> you know, it works. It would keep you <laughs> on the road and just chugging along. Yeah, well, the vans that I drive, uh, they run on on gasoline. We can I tell have, you that you're an all electric vehicle. They don't have to mention how you're charging them. Yeah, yeah. And you've got I mean, another you got another vehicle that drives alongside of you and charges. As you're uh, driving around. I mean, that is, that is pretty much the, the green movement in a nutshell. <laughs> you, you can run something that's all electric as long as right behind you is something that's burning fossil fuels in order to charge it. Yep. So you can say, Hey, we're saving the planet. Somebody, and I don't remember who this was or, did, or it may even be something that we talked about here, but the number that I heard when it all comes down to it, the cost, the equivalent cost per gallon of gasoline for running an electric vehicle would be 17 something a gallon. Yes, I've heard that. In fact, was that it you? was two weeks ago on this very show that I told you that. See, this is why. See, now you know I listen. I don't remember who says these things, but I, <laughs> I listen and I absorb the information. Well, I suppose that's a step up. Yes. And it's like, but that's I mean, insane. honestly, I think that our show would suffer if we listened to each other. Yeah, we don't want that. We would not want that. But for people who think that getting a gas vehicle is somehow better for the environment or cheaper or it's going to be the utopia of you know oh i can drive around on pennies a day bullshit i can drive around on subsidies a day yeah well it's all subsidies that's it until then uh you know the electricity isn't there 
because somewhere when you're charging your electric car with that clean electricity, somewhere somebody's burning coal. There's uh, something going on that's not or somebody's running a diesel generator. It's very few. And we may have had that at some point too. the percentage of the electricity that is going to support these vehicles. A very small comes from hydro. Very small comes from nuclear. It's uh, it's crazy. You know, I, I happen to live in one of the only places in the United States where we actually get probably 95% of our electricity from hydropower. It, it, a funny thing, it rains that much here and we have steep mountains to put dams in. Hydropower is extremely viable here, which is why the, I don't remember who the, the government, uh, whether that be federal actually put out an, when, when the green stuff was popping up 15, 20 years ago, they specifically excluded hydropower from the list of renewable sources because if hydropower had been included, then there'd be nothing to change in this part of the country. And we couldn't get <laughs> Pacific Northwesterners to become environmentally conscious by limiting themselves and going back to the Stone Age with their the power usage. Because if we if hydropower were green. We wouldn't have anything we needed to change. And then, you know, they couldn't force us to completely ruin our lives in the name of green power. Because, and this is a case where when the green solution works, I applaud it and say, use it. And it is green, which is why, for example, the activists can't complain, oh, you're burning fossil fuels because we're not. No, instead, we're killing fish. (laughs) That is, in fact, the complaint about hydropower. You're killing is, fish, but they like yeah, the windmills because you're fuck preventing the birds. You're preventing salmon from getting to their spawning streams or something like that. Yeah, protect like, the well, fish. Eat fuck the, the salmon. Birds. They're tasty. Yeah. Well, you can you can eat the birds too. That's they love windmills. They don't care that <laughs> birds are basically going through a blender, huh? Mm, bird Ginsu. Birds. Yeah, then you've got to go just live right underneath. I got bird. Yes, yum. Yes, just stand underneath them, open up your mouth, get pieces of bird, mm-hmm. raw bird. Them's hopefully good that, yeah, hopefully that's not, you know, what the bird ate. Yeah, you're going to be getting some kind of disease and dying, but hey, but really they're complaining about the fish because I always thought it was cool. You know, that, that live- is in fact the biggest complaint against hydropower is you are harming the fish. In fact, the, the U.S. or not U.S., the Washington, I don't know, energy department, uh, whoever. Uh, actually went out and breached a couple of dams on the Olympic Peninsula a few years back so that the fish would return to their spawning streams. And then uh, uh, this was out near uh, Port Angeles, I think. So Dvorak probably knows a lot more about it than I do. But not long thereafter, they had to build a new natural gas plant. Interesting. Go with what works. How about that? Just go with what works. Just go with what works. Well. And then the other thing, of course, that they're trying to do is convince people to put solar power panels on their roof. Like yep. the sun doesn't shine here. Yeah, they're trying to do that here, too. And I'm telling you, Chicago, it's like night. It's dark here at about 330 now already in the winter. You know, it'll start it, getting it, brighter a little bit I am, earlier. But I am well aware of when it gets dark on account of I can't read house numbers after it gets dark. Yeah, that's uh, that's why you need the phone to tell you that you're in the right place, even when you're in the wrong place. 
Yeah, even when the database is wrong. Yeah. But I always thought it would be cool. I saw a video a month or two back of an old guy that had a cabin off the grid and there was a stream running through his property and he had an old wooden uh, water wheel that was running, you know, charging all the generator, doing what you need to do to get power. hydropower. Yeah. They, they, and unlicensed too. the government's going to come after him. I know they're not going to like that. I mean, and all the big car batteries, you know, he had for when, you know, something happens and you need the extra power. It was all uh, a pretty cool system when it came down to it. And it's like, this is awesome. It's like free electricity. Just turning that big old wheel. If everybody just had a stream running through their backyard and could put a big old wheel out there. That's what you need to do. You need a big old wheel in the backyard. I mean, of course, I you kind of do. Yeah. I don't have a I don't have a backyard, nor do I have a stream going through it. But but otherwise, I like the idea. The idea is something just well, I guess we'll have to uh, we'll just have to pin that one right now. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's just keep that in the good idea bucket. <laughs> That's the great idea bucket. What you need is a nuclear generator in your backyard. Who doesn't? That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Did you know? That I mean, the- not only would it be cheap power uh, from a non-grid source. But also, when the government decides to come in and, and ruby ridge your ass, it's mutually assured destruction. And yeah, who doesn't need that? You're like, I'm using this for power right now, but I can also can also use it for destruction. <laughs> Did you know this podcast is a value for value podcast? I that that wasn't what we discussed earlier. We put these shows out there. I mean, some episodes are better than some others. Value, some episodes receive more value than others. Some episodes deliver more value than others. This is true. If you want to help support this show, it's very easy. You go to grumpyoldbenz.com slash donate. We got Boostergrams open, and I set up a Get Alby for the show that will now grab all of your Satoshis until you have your uh, you have your, oh, wow. your okay. part going. It was literally That's put an email in. So I, did, I, I, I by the for, way. I did it for Larry, too, because he's been hemming and hawing about getting a get alby account as well i yeah i don't know what the hell is going on um with my node with your pipe i have checked every i have checked every diagnostic i know how uh everything seems to be running correctly uh i have i have some inbound liquidity not nearly as much as i'd like uh but but i have inbound liquidity i have uh, a node running. I have working peers, but I am getting zero invoices coming in. Yeah. And they fail when you try. Yeah. Well, that's probably why there I'm getting zero. That's why nothing's coming in, but now that has been rectified for now. So at least half of it isn't bouncing back and it's in a nice separate little spot. So they can just accumulate there until you need yeah. them. And then we yeah. can just, when your node is working, we can boom send them right on over. I had to take some stuff out because I had too many Satoshis in there and I got an email from get LB like, yeah, you're, you're not supposed to have more than a million Satoshis in your, in your wallet. It's, it's part of the terms of service. What? Yeah. They don't want more than a million Satoshis in your wallet. I guess maybe it's too high in funds. I don't know what that could do negatively it, to maybe, maybe it, they can't cover it with the reserve funds. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, they are, going and they said you can get on a wait list that they may be launching a service at some point for holding larger amounts but you know at that point everybody's just like get your own node but as you see having your own node is not exactly 
No, it's not really something you can just turn on and go with it. it we, we have not reached the point where you can just so, you know, download, run this and then forget about it. Cause I went off and, you know, did some adulting for a couple weeks and for some reason it just stopped working. Yeah. And that's not good. That is not good. I mean, it seems like a Dame DeLorean knows what she's doing. So maybe we all need to take a class uh, and how to keep the nodes up and running. But beyond that, it's like, I'll just let these people do it. And I realized that at some point they must have added this because I don't think it was always there. But you can now in Albi just transfer funds directly out into a Bitcoin wallet. So all you got to do is get a Bitcoin wallet and you can transfer that stuff out. And it's a lot safer to hold your uh, coin that way anyway, because people will tell you if you have a Get Albi account. You don't really own your money. You're relying on Get Albi to be fair and to be there and to do everything correctly. But, you know, as of right now, it still seems to be a pretty good solution. We don't get paid by them or anything. We don't know deals. It just seems like it works. And I'm just giving you my personal uh, testimonial, if you will. But don't keep more than a million sats in there. But for today's show, we got a. $100 donation, some support from obscene snowman who says, stay grumpy. Now this is a name way ahead of you. I have not heard right. I had not heard that name before. So I did a search and the only thing that came up was on a episode of uh, rare encounter that they had also sent in some funds. So somebody that likes rare encounter. And that's all we know about Obscene Snowman. But thank you. That's a great name. I I mean, I guess it's good to know that that such a person exists. We like Rare Encounter. I mean, am I wrong here? There was an open question as to whether or not anybody liked Rare Encounter. Yeah. Now we know. Yeah. So a clearly successful podcast. You've got a listener. I hear that it's now been if only a lot, we could do that. It's been a lot better since Adam Curry took over and, and co-hosting the show with Abel Kirby. It it has. Uh, you mean since Cold Acid took off his superhero mask? Right. He took off his mask. Oh, Michael Bublé. Isn't that who he is? Michael Bublé. No, uh, Adam. I don't Curry. know who that is, and I'm okay with this. You don't know Michael Bublé? Oh, he's like the new Sinatra man. He's Canadian. Now I'm really okay with this. He has a hot wife from Argentina or something. This is how you know this is love. When you meet somebody and you don't speak the same language, but you somehow start dating and then learn the language. Isn't that Isn't that just the universal definition of success? Like, yeah, he's got a career making some stuff, but who cares? He's got a hot wife, so he's successful. Yeah, I think so. That's definitely that's definitely one of the factors people are going to look at. Just saying. Then Andres Molina coming in with $20 and says, appreciate the EV analysis from Ben Rose. Keep it up, gents. So see somebody like the EVs talk from last week. And I managed to convince somebody that it was an analysis and not just an unfocused hate spew. <laughs> analysis, rant, hate spew, all kind of the tomato, tomato, isn't it? We like to blur the lines. That's what we do in the name of what was it entertainment is that what we do here it is yeah yeah again one of those things i'm not sure that they got right that they seem to think that we use humor and that we entertain people and uh citation needed 
You're like, I'm not too sure about that. Our buddy Progo came in with another $12 check. Thank you, Progo. Of uh, what's it? Smallcomputer.io or smallcomputer.com or something like that. I forget these domains. It was so much easier when all you had to remember was .com. It's Progo of New Jersey. Oh, he's in New Jersey now? Poor Allegedly. Guy. Poor guy. I don't know if that's something he wanted to admit, but given that it's given in that his no agenda and, social profile. So he, he didn't want to admit it, but given that he is supporting the show and sending us money, you figured you would out him as a Jerseyite. Yes. Yes. Because fair. support this show and we will dox you. That is my, my promise to you. <laughs> no, no, it's not. People are like, no, I don't want that. It's bad enough we listen to the show and we send in money. We don't want people to know that we listen to the show yeah. and send in, in money. Fact, in fact, this show, we are going to distribute via push notification, which means that if you listen to this show, we know who you are. And thank you, Servo. It's smallcomputer.us. He's one of the rare dot uses. Hey, I'm a rare dot us. Yeah. And then another check, $10, another monthly, both of these from Dajur Demon Dragon of WOW. That's a mouthful. It's a great name. That is. I want one like that. Well, you can make Make, up whatever you want. Makes sound really normal. I have not played World of Warcraft ever. I know. It's one of these things I should have. I have observed it being played many times. Uh, Apparently, it has something to do with uh, really large raid fights that involve so many things, so many effects going off at once that the whole screen lags. And then also extreme close-ups on uh, modded characters with skimpy outfits that uh, for role play purpose, you know what? Actually, I have no idea what it's about. It sounds about right. Sounds about right. Oh, this is interesting. I well, we'll get to the booster grams in a second, but Albie's even emailing me that the booster grams are coming in. I've never wow. set that up for any of the other accounts. Uh, Boostbot isn't telling me anything. No, well, I took Boostbot out of the chain a long time ago because it just wasn't up all the time, and that was annoying. So I've adjusted it to just go to my uh, back to the Satoshi's dot stream, the original service that goes into a Telegram window that at least pops up during the show, so I can get the Boostergrams live. Uh, but coming in from the Patreon, yeah, we still have a Patreon. And our buddy Brian Janak is still over there with $10 for this show and $10 for Planet Rage. And Stevie with $5 just for this show, which is the makes the the uh, accounting is always so great. Oh, uh, you use the same Patreon for multiple shows. I didn't mean to. He was like, can I do this? And I'm like, sure, I guess. I mean, I don't have enough work to do, but we appreciate the, the support. So at this point, I'm not going to say no. And I didn't really figure it was, it's not really worth putting well, up another I, Patreon that we don't put any content on. I, for one, am willing to take Larry's money. If, if he's wealthy enough that he can live in Connecticut, then he can, he can help spread the love, right? I think so. It Besides, he's the most successful podcaster I know. Yeah. The other day when I was talking to that other podcaster that I work with, uh, Gene, the Russian, when he, when he heard work. that Larry, you, you use that word work with, yeah, well, okay, um, I mean, it's the best word I can come up with. When I told him that Larry has actually worked in a professional capacity writing for network shows, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
you're 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 telling me that that other show has a professional writer no wonder you guys get more money <laughs> i'm like that must be it that must be because Larry's a professional planet rage has a professional writer yeah grumpy old ben's has an unprofessional writer it all works out we got a brand new five dollar a month set up just the other day by raymond zorger and that is very much appreciated over on the paypal's and then we go to the boostergrams and they're coming in hot and heavy right as we speak i mean it's hot and heavy oh. as, as the, the boostergrams can come in i mean the first one we got was from tom tomsky who was like i didn't get lit and i don't this was the other thing with the podcasting 2.0 stuff it is great but it doesn't always work and you don't always get the push notification or whatever it is and sometimes even though you jiggle all the handles and you do all the right things, sometimes it doesn't come through. Sometimes it does, but there's really not much you can do about it there. You can't force it. It either does or it doesn't. Well, you always have the right to get angry about it though. That is true. That is true. But now I'll be here. This is sending out messages when how many stats were received. This one from NetNed said 2712 totally says this is totally the best show ever since the last show honest well duh he, he speaks the truth and then servo with 3300 satoshis of oh it says of 6666 total well that makes sense was the other one a total how are they sending this in see but this was weird because net neds just was 2710 but it said that was the total and all 2710 came into that so that's weird. I really appreciate our producer's ability to confuse the hell out of you. I know. And then servos, which was 6666 sats, just has the message, the boostergram hashtag doxed. Yeah. We're tracking you down right now, servo. When we have all of your personal information, we will put it into the show notes so people can visit you. You, and- you are literally doxing all the information we have that he's servo, that he sent this many sats, 30. Yeah. But he doesn't know that. Shh, there could be more. Yeah, I, I, because what? How, wait, a, hold, hold, stop. How do you know he's not listening to you right now? Oh my god, he, he could, could be, be tapping our communications. And see, it's weird because the net net, the one that came through on Telegram, said fifty four sats. There's some weird stuff with the splits, but they're sats. That's all we really need to know. There is the possibility that the whole lightning network is completely wonky right now. And there's also yes. the possibility that we don't know what we're doing. It could be. It was a fountain boost though. And uh, NetNet says that could just explain it all. Sometimes everything. Uh, the, you know, the, or the, the words NetNet could explain it all. Oh too. yeah. I mean, you get NetNet because yeah, I've got the 2712 in my uh, account as well. So you got 2712. I got 2712. And then the telegram only shows up with 54 but that was its part of it normally that gave the full amount i mean really it's a lot of spinning plates and uh we thank the tom tomskis and the net neds and the servos yes if there were more than one of each that would just be that would be kind of scary i i as far as i can tell i have evidence right now that there's at least 21 net neds Ooh, i mean in the troll room they just keep in the tr- there are Yes, there are at least 21 net neds in the troll room right now. And CSB asked if there was going to be a show today, but then there was no boost because he's not boosting until next year. But you're still not studying if you're listening to this show, CSB. 
And and in response to that, I don't know if we're going to actually have a show today or if we're just going to blather into microphones like we usually do. Well, that's a show. That's that is the epitome of a grumpy old Ben's. We thank everybody for listening and for supporting the show. If you feel like you've gotten any value out of this, if you've been entertained, if you've been enlightened, if you just get that fuzzy little feeling every time you hear our voices, go over to grumpyoldbenz.com slash donate. Click that donate button for a one-time monthly donation through PayPal. Use the QR codes or wallet addresses if you want to do the crypto thing. Use the P.O. box if you hate everybody else and want to send a check. And if you're on the podcasting 2.0 ecosystem thing, boost, boost, boost. It's okay. It feels good. Feels good. Feels so good. Oh, Re- oh reunited. boost me, boost me, boost me, boost me, baby. Boost me, baby, one more time. There's a so, lot of those songs. My last text story uh actually comes out of Pol- uh, out of, out of Poland. It's not not Petaluma from Poland. Petaluma, no, not, Poland. Not, no, not Poma. Poland. I don't know what Poland. No, uh from Poland. Uh I sourced this one from a random Mastodon three. One of the few times when I was like, I've got some spare sanity to burn off. I'm going to go ahead and check the federated feed. Oh God. And I saw this one come through and I kind of started digging because it was fascinating to me. Uh, this has to do with uh, a manufacturer of uh, electric trains from Pullman or I keep saying Pullman Poland. Uh, Newag Impulse is the type of train, the line of trains. I am not familiar with this at all, but it would make sense because I don't buy trains in Poland right now. But by the could. way, these are not these are not like model trains or anything. These are the the full size, you know, sixteen feet high, eight feet wide. Yeah, because everybody one. needs a full size train. When where are you going to put it? On a track, hopefully. Yes. Yeah. You, obviously, you need a track in your house. I, anyway. Um, this is very silver spoons. Do you remember that show? Ricky no. Schroeder was the kid and the father was rich and owned a toy company. And they had one of them little ride on trains that went through like the foyer and went around the house. You know, I'm going to tell you something about my upbringing. And that is when I was a kid, we like most middle-class families in the eighties, there was precisely one television hooked up to the dish that could get any signal at all. And my dad was staring at that television, usually watching either spaghetti westerns or TV news pretty much every moment uh, that he could. And as a result, I never really watched much television when I was a kid. And years later, I look back and realized that that was one of the coolest parenting things my dad ever did was he made it so that I did not have access to cable or network TV for most of my growing up because he was always watching it. You're like, here's what I'm going to watch. Not what I wasn't like, see. wasn't like modern cable where every household has 17 televisions and all of them get eat every 900 channels. No, no, you had, you had one TV connected to the big ass antenna on the roof, which, you know, if, if the wind pushed the antenna and it got pointed five degrees off, you lost all your signal. And I did, I was the kid because I was lighter than my dad. I was the kid who got to go up and readjust it while he sat there yelling up to me. No, a little to the left. Okay. Back a little bit. Okay. Okay. Now the signal's good. Don't fall off. Yeah. I remember the first time I put in a direct TV dish on our townhouse after fighting with the townhouse people who wanted to prevent it from going up. That was back in the day where that was one of the big things. 
Well, the, the, I'm talking about pre pre direct TV. Oh, I'm you're talking, talking about real a real satellite dish. I'm talking a four no, not satellite. I'm talking a 14 foot boom antenna that yeah, I grew up out in Vancouver, Washington, which is the the south end. Uh, we were maybe 25 miles from downtown Portland, where all of the transmissions came from, and we had a big ass 14 foot boom antenna on the roof that had to be pointed precisely at the hills next to downtown Portland, just so we could get any signal at all. Nice. That is old school. Yeah. Now we, no, we didn't, have, we didn't have cable when I was a kid. Cable was not offered way out in the boonies where we were. No, well, we fact, didn't, I didn't even, I didn't even grow up in Vancouver. I grew up in a place. I'm not kidding you. The name of the town was brush Prairie. <laughs> That sounds like an you old can Western. Look, you can look it up. You can find Brush Prairie, Washington. That is that is where I did my growing up. And we were, there was no cable. <laughs> and and if you wanted, we got, I think, like nine or 10 channels with that big ass antenna on the roof. That's pretty impressive. And And that was only because we were lucky enough to be on a hill and we could get a straight shot point. In fact, there was one point when our neighbors started letting the trees get up. And, um, <laughs> You're like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to admit being involved in accidentally going down and killing those trees at any point. You're like, you're blocking my TV signal. <laughs> you can't do that. I mean, yeah, people that if, if you're listening and you have always had cable television, the over the air experiment was so much fun. You got CBS, NBC, ABC, your, our PBS station. And then there were a couple of UHF channels, but it was Probably yeah. as a kid, there was like seven, maybe that you would watch. I think the most like, yeah, we had, we had those. We had obviously CBS, ABC, NBC, uh, PBS. We had uh, like one or two UHF channels. And then one of the most awesome moments was when a new network came online with the, the, was it the Paramount network? No, it was UPN. Oh, right. And that came online and suddenly we had a new channel. More TV. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Did you have but, VHS tapes that were running all the time? So you could the time but that antenna only picked up enough signal to run into one television. And it wasn't me that got to sit in front of it most of the time. So, oh. so thank you, dad, for keeping me from ge- becoming television addicted when I was a kid. Yes. Now see, that, that said the computer was upstairs and I totally got into that. Yeah. Well, by that time though, what was the internet connectivity? Uh, was it was uh, BBS's. We had right. a, uh, well, my dad had a, a home office where he had an extra line put in for the fax machine. But after 5 p.m., I was allowed to use the <laughs> that line for my. So it was connected to my modem. So I'm guessing so, 5 p.m. to like 5 a.m. That thing was cranking. Oh, yeah. I had scripts. I, I was a Fidonet node for a while. And if anybody doesn't know what Fidonet is, then you were born you know, recently. You were born way too late. Yeah. OK, so this story. I'm going to just read from the, the Mastodon post because it was. Uh, now, that would be a good this, name for a news was, organization. The Mastodon post says it, it would be a much more reliable news organization than most of the ones out there these days. True. Uh, we. Uh, yeah, the, the, the three people that'll be in the show notes have reverse engineered the PLC code of new ag impulse uh, engines. These trains were locking up for arbitrary reasons after being serviced at third-party workshops. The manufacturer argued that this was because of malpractice by these workshops and that they should be serviced by the manufacturer instead of third parties. 
So we decompiled the PLC code and found that it contained logic that would lock up the train with bogus error codes after some date or if the train wasn't running for a given time. One version of the controller actually contained GPS coordinates to contain and detect the behavior to only in third party workshops. It was also possible at the time to unlock the trains by pressing a key combination in the cabin controls. None of this was documented. Of course, not. in later in newer PLC software versions, the key unlock was deleted, but the lock logic remained. After an update, the cabin controls would also display scary messages about copyright violations if the HMI detected a subset of conditions that should have engaged the lock, but the train was still operational. The trains also had telemetry that was broadcasting lock conditions and in some cases appeared to be able to lock the train remotely. This sounds like a movie that is so, going to be uh, like one of these things where the train is out of control. So We're here is out. here is what seems to have happened. Now, this is just one side of it, but it was a very juicy story. The manufacturer, Newegg, N-E-W-A-G, of these trains put in code in the firmware of their trains or the, the PLC, whatever that is, uh, that would make it so that the trains would, if, if it detected that the train had been at the GPS location of a third party repair shop, then it would just start <laughs> randomly and arbitrarily locking up the trains and crashing the software. Hey, did the, Elon know this is an opportunity for him to do? Don't take your Tesla someplace we don't want you to. They also detected, uh, apparently for testing, the, the early versions had a way that you could randomly lock it and then unlock it with an undocumented code from the cabin, which apparently was removed later is what they say. and. There was in later versions, allegedly a way that the manufacturer could just break the train, lock it down remotely. So this is a manufacturer who is producing and selling full-size trains to transit systems, I'm guessing, uh, or uh, the, the image that's displayed is definitely uh, some kind of a light rail transit train. And they have detected in the firmware that they decompiled that these trains are designed that if you ever have them fixed anywhere but the manufacturer, they introduce bogus crashes and breaks and lockups into the train system because you didn't take it to them. Now, all you California right to repair advocates, you do not even understand what Apple could be doing. And you're just saying, oh, they won't put a headphone jack in. They could be just making it so that if they detected you went to the GPS location of a third party repair shop, then your phone would brick itself randomly. I'll just say it. This is nefarious to a whole new level. Well, yeah, because how safe do you feel knowing that there's a way for people to access the train you're riding on and just shut it down? You know, if the manufacturers put in that back door, how long until hackers find it? Well, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. And then are these things on planes? <laughs> okay. Planes would be even worse. Uh -huh. A train, at least if, if the entire engine and computer shuts down on a train, usually the train will just kind of yeah, slowly, unless you don't slowly, have brakes all of a sudden. Well, hopefully you got brakes. Holy f that would be a whole new thing. Uh -huh. But even, you know, they, they equip them all with air brakes where, you know, the design of air brakes on big rigs and trains is such that if the system loses power, the brakes default to locking down. So 
Hopefully the train just stops where it is and blocks a track for a while. Airplanes are a whole new thing. Because, yeah. Because if an airplane, if everything just stops working on an airplane, you've still got, I don't know, a couple miles to go. And you know, how far is the plane going to go there? Yeah. What's All your glide the way path? to the scene of the crash. Uh-huh. That's your glide path, baby. Yeah. Which is good because that's where we're going. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It is one of those. I watched a video not too long ago on what a plane that uh, where everything had gone wrong from doing some work at an airport, which allowed one of the tanks that fueled these things in order to have contaminants go in that the filters at the time were not able to detect and how these things as the plane flew, it was a long flight. And as it flew, started causing more and more problems, you know, like not being able to control the aircraft. That seems like a minor issue in the grand scheme of things. Uh Uh-huh. You know, unless you, unless controlling the aircraft is important for things like, I don't know, reaching your destination. Yeah. This was involved like with the throttle, which meant that whatever point it was, the throttle was stuck so you could do whatever you want <laughs> you could do your flaps and everything yeah, else but yeah. the throttle you cannot throttle back and it's like we're, we're just gonna land under full thrust see uh-huh. how that works yeah and they the, god bless the pilots were able to bring that plane in without crashing it entirely and killing everybody well that's good but it's like you see what i mean i'm sure things. they were incentivized as considering they were part of yes. everybody yeah you're like uh this is not not good and they were trying throughout no. the flight they were having problems and they're like, well, just reset this. Nobody had any idea. Did you try turning it off and back on again? That was part of this. It's like all these systems like, well, let's, well, then engine one went out and I think it was a three engine aircraft. And it was like, well, after the first engine went out, it's like, oh, this is not good. Yeah. Yeah. We might need a couple of those to stay on. Uh-huh. You don't think of half this stuff and the, the safety measures that are put into place don't often, you know, at this point you would think they've seen and done everything. This was a case where something happened that they did not, you know, did not build into the system for because it was something you you would think you would think they'd planned for every contingency. But as we have determined with electric vehicles, the smartest of the morons out there keep coming up with new contingencies. Hey, did your car get splashed with salt water? It's going to burst into flames at some point. (laughs) We don't know when. Yeah, Just we don't know when could be in a week. Could be in a year. At some point, it is going to burst into flames, but no, it's okay. They only, it's only going to last for two years anyway, because you keep charging it and driving it like an idiot. Yeah. yeah. How dare you charge and discharge it? Uh-huh. Don't you know the battery stays longer if you leave your car in the drawer? You just need a really long extension cord. That's kind of what people stuck to street parking kind of have to do. This is, yeah. And that's another issue right there then. You know, if somebody just coming by in the middle of the night, and just unplugging your car. So when you wake up in the morning, <laughs> no charge it, 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 it has happened. Hey. I am not going to admit to having actually done that. When I delivered to the house of somebody <laughs> who has a, a black lives matter sign in the yard or something, you just kicked the cord accidentally. I, I will not admit to having done that accidentally. It, it would totally be an accident because I'm not that malicious. I am looking forward to next week's Grumpy Old Men's as it will be on December 13th. Oh, boy. Yeah, that is Taylor Swift's birthday. 
I'm busy that day. It's gonna be it's gonna be a big old sell. Oh, are you watching the? That's when they're putting the um, the movie, the concert movie, the concert film that brought in like 128 million in its first weekend. That's finally hitting the streamings. So uh, I'm guessing your whole day. People are pissed off, and it's funny because I had another story, and we could we could hold this one off until uh, next week. But it was a follow up of something that we had talked about, which was uh, Sony. People had bought a bunch of content that has now disappeared because Sony no longer has the rights. So, oh no, a digital library that remotely removes things that people paid for. Say it isn't so. I know. Say we haven't been warning about it for years and years. Yeah. Yeah. I think you first brought it up at least two years ago. And in this case, the Taylor Swift thing, you pay your 1989 or whatever it is because, you know, year of her birth. Yeah, buy physical media, people. Uh huh. You get the thing. You people are like, eh, eh, I only get it. I only get it for forty eight hours. What do you mean? And it's like, well, it's a rental. It's not a digital purchase. libraries are a scam. Buy physical media. Yeah, or pirate. That's another way to go too. Pirate physical media if you have to. Yes, <laughs> you know, loot a Walmart. Whatever you got to do. This is I only advocate. Right. I only advocate for piracy when you've got. No other option. Yeah. Pretty. If, if, if a form of media has been removed because the corporation is greedy, then, okay, you know what? Sorry. The, the, this is part of our culture. If, however, you're like, well, I really want a copy of this movie and I don't want to pay $2. Right. You know what? Don't you fucking reach it. Dig deep down and find that in your wallet. And I don't know how greedy they're going to be with this Taylor Swift concert, whether it's ever actually going to be available for any kind of physical media purchase or download. It, Cause I'm okay with downloads too. When it comes to digital media, if I can take it and I can store it on my own media, I'm perfectly fine. But if you wait yeah, until they revoke the playback key, well, see, there isn't a, most of these things don't have a playback key, but if they did, then yeah, I get it. Then that's no good. But, you know, if you went out to the movies and you saw the Taylor Swift thing and then you paid to stream it to your house and, you know, at, at some point you just have to download a pirated copy and feel like you've you've done more than enough by paying multiple times to see the same content. And this goes for any movie or anything yeah. like that. So as a conclusion, uh, support things at reasonable rates, uh, piracy if necessary because things are not available or you just don't want to pay no and uh the conversation has moved to taylor swift so i'm bored yeah and you probably want more bacon i always want more bacon that's my default state so with all that said join us again next week on december 13th oh yeah what a party it's gonna be until then i'm darren o'neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle america just outside of chirac where no I'm not going to need a whole lot of Kleenex for that event. DigiGuru. That is just wrong. Everything about DigiGuru is just wrong. That's true. Uh, <laughs> from, so America's true. Left, from America's Left Coast, I'm Ryan Bemrose, and it is now safe to turn off your computer.
feels good. <laughs>